following broadcast. Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl, and she works in a library. No my haere my kia ora. welcome to Books and Beyond. This is your host Alison and I'm joined in the studio today by Karen. Kia ora Karen. Kia ora Alison. Well today we travel west across the sea to Australia and of course when I say travel I'm talking about imaginary travel at the moment although hopefully we will soon be in a travel bubble with Australia so we will be able to do the real thing. Now Australia is a giant continent that has big skies, blue mountains, red dust and and many, many stories. So we're going to bring to you today a, a selection of books and authors from this diverse land that lies just across the ditch. Yes, that would be the land that when I moved to New Zealand from Italy, I discovered a lot of people more the parents of the friends of mine than my friends, thank goodness, um, had a hard time distinguishing New Zealand from Australia. So they would say, oh, Karen, how are you finding Australia? And of course, I would say, well, the same way you would on a map. So I could say to you, Alison, how are we finding Australian authors? Well, there's probably a couple of ways I could answer that. But um, when I've been looking for them, I think we could probably start with the giants of Auslet. Giants are always a good place to start. Stand on their shoulders. I've stood on the shoulders of giants. Absolutely. So one of the giants I would um, talk about first would be Patrick White from the mid-20th century, Nobel Prize winner in literature. Um, Nobel Prize winner and prolific author. Oh, um, yes. I actually have a, allow me a funny anecdote <laughs> about when I arrived in New Zealand and I mixed up, I was speaking to, when I started to work at the library, I was speaking with a New Zealand librarian and I actually mixed up Patrick White and Wilbur Smith, who <laughs> in my pre-Southern Hemisphere days was were just two authors born in the Southern Hemisphere, British colonies, and I made a reference to Wilbur Smith having won the Nobel Prize. Yes. Oh, awkward. <laughs> she was time. so polite. She said, oh, really? I hadn't heard of that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless her. Um, and another one I would think of would be um, Miles Franklin, um, early 20th century, and the woman who, um, perhaps best known for writing My Brilliant Career, uh, 1901, I I think. Yes, extremely early for being such a prominent um, feminist Feminist, figure. I'm going to go right out there and say, yeah. I just recently learned that the Miles Franklin Prize, which all librarians know about, um, is for great Australian literature. It was established by her and her will. I didn't realize yeah. that. I thought it was his name for her. Oh, okay. For some reason, I don't know why, I, I, I did know that. And um, yes, so it's um, the annual award for novels that have the highest literary merit. Yes, thank you. I, I said great, but yeah, oh, great. yeah you're right. The highest highest. Literary merit. But when you look at the sort of 60 plus novels that have that have won, you really get a feel, I think, for the depth and breadth of Australian writing. So a hot tip for oh, yes, looking up books in our catalogue. And um, then, of course, I think we'd have to jump to Thomas Keneally, um, contemporary, um, famous, uh, prolific author, um, perhaps possibly most famous for um, the book Schindler's 
um, which and the, which was made into the movie Schindler's List. Yeah, it's, it is a common, isn't that a common thing where the authors are remembered for the book that was made mm. into a blockbuster movie? Yeah, but yeah. Um, they, yeah, Tom Keneally is a great guy. I saw him at the Writers Festival. Go ahead. Yeah, Sorry, back to you. Uh, <laughs> I just got to put that in. Yeah, because um, when you think about those those giants that we've just mentioned, you. Perhaps think they all do tend to present a white world view, but Tom Keneally um, is said to have very good politics, particularly regarding refugee rights and the whole anti-discrimination field. Yeah, I, um, I had a look at some of his speeches on the subject, and um, there was one that really impressed me. He was talking about, he actually uh, spoke of since his childhood having been fascinated by the question of racial division in Australia, and um, growing up in a country town in white Australia, as he called it, white Australia, mm-hmm. capital W, capital A, um, and seeing Aboriginal peoples walking from their local settlement past his house, and he said it wasn't a moral thing, it was the fact that he could tell already as a child that there were there was a tragedy happening here of these people who were bewildered by the loss of their land and the loss which he associated with the loss of validity as a people and the loss of their culture uh, very intelligent child I must say he mm. was and um, and also they, this this really stuck with me that um, they had had misery imposed on them and they were unable they were being blamed for being unable to escape the misery that had been imposed on them. Mm, It's a real victim-blaming, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Um, So, Oslet, of course, um, since since the mid-20th century, has become ever wider-ranging. And when um, Karen and I were were talking about this a couple of days ago, um, we noticed a number of themes emerging when we were looking at our favourite, sort of more recent Australian writers. And um, one important theme that that arose um, for us um, was the Aboriginal people, um, the first people of Australia. And um, a book that um, resonated with me is Follow the Rabbit Proof Fence by a writer called Doris Pilkington Garimara. Um, And she was born in Western Australia. And um, many people, speaking of films, many people will have seen the film The Rabbit Proof Fence, which was adapted from, from her book. Um, I think you'd seen the film, hadn't you? Yeah. As well. So, um, and so the book, of course, based on a true story, and it's a personal account of an Aboriginal family who were part of the stolen generation, and this is at early 20th century. And the story follows three young girls who are forcibly removed from their family and taken to a government settlement in Western Australia. They um, have a pretty horrible time there and they escape and make the trek home which is over 1600 kilometers and they do it by following um, a pest exclusion fence that runs the the length and breadth of the state so and it's the rabbit proof fence the book's just completely heartbreaking and I felt a really could see and feel the the ordeal that they go through and I could also found myself predicting that their experience was going to result in layers of intergenerational trauma. 
but um, what really shone through for me was the resilience of, of the girls. Yeah, it's really a love letter to our mother, isn't it, who was one of yeah. these three girls. Um, because she, in her turn, Doris Pilkington, in her turn, grew up thinking that her mother had abandoned her because she herself was stolen just as her mother had been from and sent to the and kept in the same government settlement. And she was only reunited with her mother when she was in her 20s um, when she learned the full story. And it's um, you really get this... Um, this feeling of love coming through, don't you, in the mm. book, um, mm. not only for her mother and for all the family, but the, also the love of and the connection to their traditional land, which was also being taken away from them. Yeah, yes, it's quite beautiful but and heart, heartbreaking. Or rather, well. I should say, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I just realized it was being taken away from them, but the land that they did have left, they were being taken away from. Yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was an interesting point because um, the one of the reasons why the Australian government was taking away, these were in particular children who were half white, yes. half Aboriginal, and one of the reasons they were being taken away was that it was felt they would have a less of a connection to the land. And actually it proved to be just as strong that their traditions were still their traditions and it was still coming through there's yes. a, also a sequel isn't there yes that's right um under the what was it the, the wintermara, wintermara under the wintermara tree yes. and that's written um in a more childish as appropriate more for children and it's actually doris's story rather than her mother's story right yes um that whole thing about being biracial brings with it trauma and that kind of reminds me of the the next book that I wanted to talk about which is this amazing book called After the Carnage by a young author called Tara June Winch um, now Tara June Winch is a, a Wiradjuri author she was born in Wollongong um, south of Sydney and she was born in the 1980s so she's pretty young um, she writes fiction and short stories but this collection of short stories is absolutely outstanding. Her prose is, is so sophisticated and sort of spare and, and raw. But actually, when I say sophisticated, I can't, what I'm meaning is that there's a lot that she doesn't say. So, but, um, the meaning of what's not said comes through really clearly. So I guess that's when I'm saying it's sophisticated. That's what I'm meaning. Um, and she writes about people that are living precarious lives, ones that have somehow come adrift somewhat from their, their moorings. And one of the stories that just absolutely blew me away takes place in an ordinary Australian country town um, and a, an Aboriginal family goes out for an evening meal at their local RSL club. And this is something so commonplace all over Australia. There'd be hundreds of thousands of people doing this every day. You'd have a, a solid pub meal, maybe a couple of beers, there'd be some live music. And sometimes people put a few coins into the, the pokey machine afterwards, but nothing out of the ordinary. Well, this story, man, what happens is so powerful that at the end of it, I literally, literally, that's the wrong word to use, um, felt as though I'd been punched in the gut. Um, oh, you could say you'd been literarily punched in oh, the literally. gut through literature. Oh, yes, that's, maybe that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Thank you for that. But I had to tell myself to breathe. Um, 
Well, I know you can't give this story away. I can see that you're being coy here, which is correct. Everyone should discover. I can tell this is something people have to discover for themselves, of which I will have to include myself. I'm going to have to read this book. It's it's really good. Oh, she's she's amazing. And um, just to add that not all of her characters that she writes about are Aboriginal First People, but she... does seem to always write about people that are living on the margins or or living complex lives. But, oh boy, she's fantastic. Yeah, so that's sort of where I got up to. Um, And so then another thing that we were thinking of was immigration. Well, Well, my migrants. Yeah, um, talking about people living complex lives on the margins. So coming into white Australia mm. um, from especially, so the author that had come to my mind when we talked about that was um, Christos Silkas. Oh, yes. So, and he actually um, clarified, I saw him at the Writers' Festival. He was really interesting. I actually got to interview him. Really great guy. And he um, talks illuminated me a lot on how long the white Australia policy mm-hmm. so he's a child of Greek immigrants and uh, the the southern Europeans were um, excluded from the immigration to Australia for way longer Jeez. than I had realized um, and he, so anyway the book he was presenting at the Writers Festival was The Slap which won the Commonwealth Writers Award that's mm-hmm. why he was at the festival and he's a really vivid personality did I already say that? <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking, how am I going to describe Christos Silkas? And I was thinking, vibrant. Oh, I hate that word, vibrant. I'm going to say vivid, <laughs> but I wasn't sure if I'd already used it. Um, yeah, so he's a child of Greek immigrants, as I said, proudly out as gay, which my experiences of many summers in Greece when I was living in Europe told me could not have been easy. Oh, right, yeah. Um, the Slap is a really good read. It's set in contemporary Melbourne suburbia, where you might think people don't have such complex lives, but they, mm. it's revealed that they do, um, or at least complex sets of feelings they haven't all worked through. So it takes place, it starts out, there's a barbecue, and there's a little kid beating up another little kid. The father of the kid being beaten up hits slaps the other kid and this slap ends up becoming a slap which is being delivered to every person present at the barbecue and the book follows the story of each one of these people they tell their own story so each chapter is told by a different person and he said that the idea for this book came to him when he saw his Greek immigrant mother pat a little boy, he called it a pat, mm. a little boy on the bottom. I believe it was. It was a party. She was trying to cook. This little kid was playing in the kitchen. And um, she, you know, children did not have rights in Greece where she grew up, mm. especially not female children is what she had been. Um, but the boy had a sense of rights owed him. He was growing up in postmodern Australia. And so this started him thinking about the cultural shifts and the cultural change that the new peoples coming to Australia were bringing to the country and um, it's really really great book and I am going to say here tips for book clubs this is a great book for book clubs oh that's a that yeah, is a good really a easy tip, to get into it? good discussions yeah oh great and of course I was just thinking about the ordinary the everyday the Aussie barbecue is so Yes, it is. It's just about as common as going to the RSL club. Yes. I get. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He actually manages to include, speaking of our previous theme of Aboriginal people, he's got an Aboriginal character. And there's a really great scene where the Aboriginal, 
who's a, a young man, tells his girlfriend, Rosie, um, good Australian name. <laughs> Isn't Rosie Scott actually in New Zealand? Yeah, she is. She is. <laughs> anyway, um, who he tells her that he doesn't want her to meet his family or he doesn't want her family. I can't remember now. But anyway, because his family, he doesn't consider he knows that his family and he himself don't consider her family actually good enough, Yeah, to put oh. it shortly. Yes. It's really it's interesting horrible, turn of the tables. I mean, she's really shocked by this. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. But it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And our next theme, I mean, we could go on for ages about our last theme, but the next one we kind of put into a category was the Australian landscape, um, which includes beaches um as settings you're but giving can't... away my that was oh, my surprise no. oh i'm sorry <laughs> it was supposed to I'll be the australian landscape and then i was going to say and beaches oh, I mean, right. beaches are landscape but yeah. coast yeah because right. actually when you think landscape you tend to often think outback don't you so i'm yes. sorry that yeah I'm, yeah yeah and my I'm, surprise was going surprise. to be let's not oh, forget and the beaches. beaches oh no possibly not a surprise to people who know about australia but yeah sorry about that so if i go into the outback so i was going to talk about this great book that I've just read, and it's called Red Dust Dreaming, and it's by Eva Scott, um, no relation to the, the late, great <laughs> Rosie Scott. Um, but now this book, um, it's part of a, a sub-genre or sub-category called Lust in the Dust, which I think is a fabulous term, and it caters to a huge market. There's um, thousands of these books and and they're great but I chose this author Eva Scott to highlight today because what I like about her is that she researches her subject matter very well and she's extremely sensitive to the Aboriginal people and she gets permissions to write about aspects of the land and that sort of thing and um as you know, as this as it should be, really. So um, I'm not going to congratulate her for doing this because it's just what you should do. But um, so the book um, it's a family saga um, slash romance slash mystery um, about a well-heeled woman from New York who travels to the outback as as you do in search of a missing family member, and she ends up on a remote cattle station which is run by and you could probably guess this, um, a smoulderingly handsome widower. Uh, and the book follows their relationship and their adventures. I didn't think I would have guessed, I'm not sure if I would have guessed widower, I always thought you were going to say a defrocked priest. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, yes, because that's the other <laughs> sort of, that you see that coming through the literature, don't you? Yes. It's, um, yes. Is he defrocked or is he still a real think, priest? Yes. The one in... Um, um, the Thornbirds. Carson McCullough. No, or sorry. The, um, Colleen. Colleen, Colleen McCullough. <laughs> Yes. Mate, we're yes. doing great here. But um, I don't know that he was different, but he probably should have been. By the end of it, he probably <laughs> needed to be, didn't he? Um, but anyway, so getting back to landscape, um, I think it sort of makes a perfect setting for this type of novel because you've got those harsh conditions like the heat and the dust, drought, huge distances that need to be travelled, and you've got the danger from wild animals, fire, Etc. So it all—it's all quite atmospheric. I really enjoyed the book. It was entertaining and romantic and absorbing. 
Well, my little counterpart here is um, a book that I read and loved, which was Evie Wilde's All the Birds Singing, which was also set in the outback. You, you know this book. Yes. You read it? Yeah. I don't think I, I have. But definitely I'm worth reading. Yeah. Um, so the pervading characteristic in her book is menace, oh. suspense, but not of a romantic type. Uh, we've got the birds squawking, oh. the dried up water holes, the sun flaying your back. Um, so... Remember when we did the show on great first lines? Mm. So I was thinking we should have done this book. So the first line of All the Birds Singing is, Another sheep, mangled and bled out, her innards not yet crusting, and the vapors rising from her like a steamed pudding. Oh, that's atmospheric. That is atmospheric. (laughs) It sure is evocative. So uh, the hero, as you might have guessed from this mangled sheep, is a um, sheep shearer, or actually a sheep farmer, a woman sheep farmer. She's living on a British island but in the book, because of something of a a mystery that's happening to her in Britain, she takes us back to this past life with many dark and traumatic secrets in the Australian outback. It's uh, told in first person with an extremely pervasive voice and did I say pervasive or persuasive? Oh, yes, I think you might have said pervasive. <laughs> I'm having a bit of a time, yes. hard time with my language today. But it sounded right. I've, I've been so closed in by COVID for so long, I haven't oh, been talking yes. to a lot of people. Um, anyway, uh, my, my line here is the main character should have actually had Wild for the last name, uh, as the author does, Evie Wild. And um, I do want to say it's happily, I'm very proud of Evie Wild and her publishers for not having called the book girl with a something <laughs> girl with a dark past or anything with girl um although it might have actually been before the girl yeah that the girl publishing trend trench. yeah yeah i like anyway. my girl books but anyway you like yes. the books but do we like the title oh the title yeah true true story now um speaking of outback um this amazing book that was published just over a year ago, I think, called Only Killers and Thieves by Paul Howarth. And it's set in the um, about the 1880s in Outback Australia. Um, really reminds me a bit of the Cormac McCarthy novels, but it's a story of crime, injustice and, and honour. Um, and it's an epic tale, revenge and survival. It's really gripping and um, as a debut novel it really transports you and and brings to sort of the real vivid life this colonial and brutal Australia um, that I think is probably quite similar to the way the American Wild West was portrayed Um, so we're in the 1880s there's a crippling drought that's threatening to to absolutely ruin the local farmers uh, both indigenous and the colonising cattle farmers and the land's parched the cattle are starving the people are pretty much starving too and everyone's praying for rain and then <clears throat> oh excuse me and then there's a terrible crime um so it kind of takes you from there but what i couldn't help noticing in this book was that the people who paid the the highest price in this ruined economy are the women both the indigenous and the the settler women um and it's the small acts of kindness from the women that um give the novel any sense of hope that it's got but what a brutal and violent countryside um and this was such a powerful book highly recommended and i won't forget it i don't think 
Well, uh, speaking of powerful, but also speaking of Cormac McCarthy, speaking of powerful mm. Cormac McCarthy, I thought of Cormac McCarthy, too, with my newest read, which happens to be Australian, which is The Shepherd's Hut by Tim Winton. Uh-huh. Um, it's been a huge bestseller, and as all of Tim Winton's books are, and it really opens with a bang. We've got this boy driving across the badlands of Western Australia in a stolen car, and it's a survivalist journey. He's going through burning salt flats. I'm still trying to get used to the way he talks. So um, this is very, um, I edit all up and (laughs) actually had a conversation with my daughter about do people really say I edit all up? I guess they do. I think they do. do. But it was harder. Some parts of it are harder for me than train spotting was even. And lots of names of birds I've never heard of. The butcher bird. Oh, yes. Because the bird life is incredible. In Australia, isn't it? It should be a theme of its own. Yeah. Um, So... The butcher bird is the bird with the saddest song. So like all Tim Winton books, has got this great play between the survivalist type um, outlook on the world of the boy and then moments of fragility or of um, sort of a deeper awareness of of beauty and pain. Um, He's also a lover. So this takes us back to my surprise that you spoiled. Tim Winton (laughs) is also a lover of another Australian landscape. Uh, not the outback, which is the beaches. He's an avid surfer. And in one of his memoirs, he actually talks about, yes, like lots of people today, he's written more than one memoir. He talks about the Australian coastal landscape as this indelible part of his identity. And the book that I read of his, the first book I read, was Breath. Mm. And it's a novel about surfing, but especially about surfing and two adolescents who are surfers who are testing their limits, taking risks and chasing the adrenaline high and taking it to the extreme. And um, yeah, so that's the breath, the title of the book, Breath. How far can you go on one breath? Mm. And um, that, that book, which was a wonderful book, wasn't it? It really takes us to another huge theme in Auslet, and that's the theme of mateship. Um, yeah. And because they're, they're lonely kids, aren't they? They're, they're, well, they're, they become mates. They're two lonely misfits, and the story is about how they become friends and then how they live their friendship. Their mate, it is mateship. And they come of age together. They are learning about what that means. There's a lot of consideration about masculinity versus fragility, so that breath becomes also, rather than just an adrenaline high, it becomes things like holding your breath, playing with breath, losing breath, breath used also during sex, regaining breath and working with it to create things and giving it to save lives. um, Because one of the boys, the narrator, actually becomes a paramedic. So then we've got yet another. No, it's a really, really good. I think Tim Winton's a really good. I mean, I don't. I don't even need to go out on a limb to say that because he is he's always called the most beloved of all Australian mm, authors. He's, mm. His books are wildly popular and also have lots and lots of layers and um, everybody can find something in them, I think. Yeah. Don't put it down because you think it's a surfing novel. I would have yeah. done that. I would have done that because, um, but it was our book club had chosen to read it and I'm so glad I did. Oh, that's really good, isn't it? Well, another one that, um, along the lines of, of Mate Trip, um, something perhaps a, a little bit different, is the Thomas Keneally book called The Daughters of Mars. Our giant of Oz lit. Yeah, it's a giant. Good for you. Yeah. And this book um, follows two young women um, who are both raised in a country town in New South Wales, and they're nurses. Um, and because this is set just before World War One, they both 
enlist in the army and they travelled to Europe. Um, they're drawn probably like so many were. They they were drawn to the army because they they're wanting to escape the the tedium of their farming life in Australia. I think Tom Keneally writes really well about that dreariness of of the country life. Um, so, and of course, World War One. It was going to be an adventure, and it was expected to be over by Christmas. Yeah. And one of the nurses says that, "Oh, it'll be. We'll be back by Christmas." And um, of course, what they found when they got there was just rivers of blood basically look it's such a powerful book i think i probably wept through most of it um but it's about gallantry and mateship and bravery selflessness um and one of the nurses makes a really good observation that the war um itself has acted what did she say um oh it acted like a machine to make us true sisters so that's really about the mateship I believe. Um, and so this one, like much of his work, it, it's um, sweeping, it's epic, um, great storyline, very memorable. He's also a great yarn teller, I want to say. I mean, yeah. I remember um, that when at the Writers' Festival when he spoke, he always had a, he was a real yarner, wasn't he? In that, yes. In that sense of a storyteller. Yeah, yeah. it really is. And, um, and when he you know, talked about their dreary life on the dairy farms. Um, I'd sort of thought, um, I wondered if it might have been preferable to the, the horrors of war in Europe. Yeah. yeah. I, it's interesting because, um, you know, he studied to be a priest. That's um, Yeah, oh, he yes. studied in a seminary. And I've been thinking about how these three writers that we've been talking about, so, well, of the many that we've talked about, but Robert Desay and Tim Winton and Tom Keneally. Um, oh, actually, we didn't talk about Robert Desay. It was my oh, thought we about Robert Desay. Hey, yes. That was in the back of my head. But anyway, they um, were all writers. They were all um, people who religion played this huge part in their household when they were growing up. Children of either fundamentalist evangelicals or um, Catholics or so on. And I wonder how you know, they got beyond that perfunctory so well that it, Robert Desai, as we were saying, complained about. Um, you know, Australian males only exchanging information when they talk. And yes. here are males who just discovered the power of the word. You've been using powerful. Yes. So, and maybe all the way through from the good word itself. Yeah. The King James Bible, yes. great piece of literature. Mm. Well, look, on that note, it's our last recommendation. Um, just want to wish everyone, um, happy reading until next yes. time. Some Australian reading, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. Um, Hairara and Kakite Ano. Kakite this program was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day.